Welcome to the BizTimes MKE podcast, providing news and insights to the Milwaukee business community. Let's listen in as our podcast partner, Beth Ridley with The Brimful Life, interviews leaders from within the business community. Welcome to the Brimful Life podcast, where we highlight leaders who are achieving great results by putting people and culture first. I'm your host, Beth Ridley, CEO of the Brimful Life consulting firm that helps companies bring up the best in leaders, teams, and workplace cultures. This episode is the first in a four-part series on the topic of diversity and inclusion, where I speak with experts and leaders on how to build a culture of diversity and inclusion at work. Be sure to listen to all four episodes, as well as visit my website at thebrimfullife.com to download my free DNI Kickstart Kit for Leaders to help you successfully implement what you learn, even with limited resources. Today, I'm speaking with Erica Joy Daniels, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Aurora Healthcare. Erica Joy shares her advice on cultivating leadership commitment to DNI, the single most important thing to do first as part of a DNI strategy. Erica Joy shares tips on how leaders can develop a DNI mindset by investing in relationships, engaging in dialogue, embracing vulnerability, and giving yourself permission to mess up. We break this all down so it is not scary. Let's meet Erica Joy. Erica Joy, thank you very much for spending time with me on this very important topic of diversity and inclusion. And what we want to do is learn a little bit about diversity and inclusion best practices as you've been implementing them as Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at a large organization, uh, Advocate Aurora, and then sort of capture some advice that you have for companies who are early in their DNI journey and are really looking just to get started. Sound good? Sounds great, absolutely. Awesome. All right, so let's first with understanding what diversity and inclusion means in your organization. How do you define diversity and, and um, sort of what's the vision around that that you're really driving forward? You know, uh, first, thanks again, Seth, for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be able to share um, insights that have truly come from uh, learning and the journey of, of helping to drive an organization through their journey. And that's such a cute question to start with because an enterprise needs to understand why this work even matters um, and what are they going after. And the question around what do we define as diversity is usually the thing that's skipped over. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, diversity just means difference, <laughs> simply put. And we say that because in our footprint, um, Advocate Aurora, we are Wisconsin, Illinois, and difference can look different as you go to different places. And sometimes people have conventional uh, thoughts around what diversity is. Sometimes people relegate it simply to just being people of color. Um, and that's misleading. And if you don't become as broad as you can with the work of diversity, then that only limits you to who actually can benefit from the work. And if there's a short list of those who can benefit from the work, you'll also have a short list of those who will engage and drive the work. Mm. So for us, the advocate of war, diversity just means different, but difference that matters. And that enables us to learn um, about various dimensions of diversity and why it should be important. And then particularly why it's important in healthcare. So those become kind of the start of the way we explore this journey. And really that becomes our jumping off point as we were planning our strategies. 
Yeah, I love that. Like you said, keep it broad because um, if it only benefits a few, you can only actually engage a few. Um, so how yeah. have you? How do you talk about that business benefit of diversity and inclusion for Aurora? How do you connect it to the business? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I think it's really key that diversity and inclusion is seen as a strategic enabler or a strategic imperative. So in doing that, for me, uh, it's coming from manufacturing and came into healthcare. Um, I had to understand what was important and why was healthcare in the business that it was in. Understanding that beyond just a purpose statement or a value statement, but what gets us revenue, and it's why a company exists, right? To draw revenue, to make an impact, to employ people, um, and to have broad reach. Um, Diversity inclusion is used as a way for us to look at our business decisions through a lens of DNI, and then also building strategies that address uh, where we can close gaps. But typically with, with diversity inclusion efforts, it's if you really want to look at where you start, it's about where do you currently have gaps? Um, and it goes beyond just looking at gaps in representation. It could be gaps in, um, in reach or in market share. It could be for us in healthcare, it's gaps in clinical outcomes. Um, it's looking at gaps in patient experience, uh, the things that matter anyway to the business, but just looking at it through the night lens. And how do you know if you're successful at Advocate Aurora? How do you measure success or what is even, even in words, what does success mean around diversity and inclusion? You know, I'll probably go back to the gap piece that if my, you know, my, the ideal state to me is no gaps, mm-hmm. you know, no gaps in what the, whatever we measure um, that we have equity in what we're looking at, whether it's patient experience numbers um, and looking at, um, for example, very tactical measure, the likelihood for someone to, to recommend us. Do all communities uh, have that same kind of assessment or evaluation on us? Um, or looking at our patient population, do, do we have the same reach and current inpatient population as what's available out there in the community? And then also from a talent standpoint, do we have uh, a workforce that's reflective of not just the current um, community that we have, but the ever increasingly diverse community that could come our way and we could draw to our city? Um, so that's how we measure our success. We have a very scientific way. Of course, we're, you know, healthcare, there's a science in healthcare. We have a very um, formulated way that we establish goals with associated metrics that we track and that we review. But again, they are tied to what's already important to the business. So if I hear what you're saying, it's really you're looking at your um, typical business metrics, the things that you'd be looking at anyway. Now you're just looking at those results through a more diverse lens. For anyone who's listening, who's like, this is amazing. Love what Advocate Aurora is doing, but I'm not there yet. I don't have a chief diversity and inclusion officer. Where should I even start? So for companies that are really at the beginning of their journey, um, where, what's your recommendation? If they could do one or two things right off the bat, where should they start? You know what? Um, it really starts with a personal um, learning, which is often skipped, but one of the most critical things because a company really should know that if they really want to tackle diversity inclusion, are they ready for the challenge that it takes? It's not hard work, but it can be, um, it can get get to a place where you have to be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Um, we have to challenge our preconceived notions and beliefs. We have to kind of unpack 
um, some of the, the, the um, experiences that we've had that have led to certain positions that we take. And we all do. I mean, take alone, alone the, the whole concept of bias. Everyone has bias. No, no one's wrong of having bias. We're wrong when, we don't, when we're not attentive of our bias and make sure our bias doesn't inadvertently and negatively influence our behaviors. Um, so without a position, without a budget, um, someone who's courageous enough to bring into a room of decision makers uh, the notion that this is something that we should pay attention to and how can we do it in a, in a short way, even if it's just starting our own learning and understanding what should diversity mean for our organization. Um, building relationships alone to change experiences so that your experiences can change your, your thoughts and beliefs to turn into better outcomes. Um, but the dialogue is probably the richest opportunity and the most important ingredient for driving any kind of diversity and inclusion work. And that doesn't take a position title or a budget to do it. Um, there's a, a quote I love by Don Carter that talks about transformation, how transformation happens when you get the most influential people in a room together. Um, so wherever there's a room of influencers convening, raising the topic to just pose a question or a challenging thought um, is an absolute great you know, first step to go at it. Mm-hmm. So I've always said diversity and inclusion should be experienced and felt, not necessarily done, because it really is looking very much inward. Um, and I agree that some of the most impactful things that you can do is just have a conversation and start the dialogue, but be willing and open, like you said, to be uncom- get comfortable being uncomfortable because uh, I think challenging our assumptions and maybe thoughts that or values that we've always held can can be frightening and can be a little uncomfortable. So that vulnerability, I think, is what I hear you saying is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And would you agree that that work really starts with the leadership? Like leadership at the top has to start um, modeling that uh, before expecting other employees to be able to do the same? Absolutely, because the, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with grassroots, because grassroots can get the attention of the leader, but um, grassroots efforts can be stalled or hampered or criticized if the leader, if the leader at the top, he or her, um, is willing to make space for it and provide support for it. And, and I mean support in, in so many ways, not just in dollars, but in endorsement um, and presence and connection and the ability um, for time to be available for team members to drive and activate in the work. Um, but it ha- if, if there's no no help and support and, and kind of declaration from the top, things will stall very quickly um, or never take scale. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you said the word, you know, declaration at the top. Would, do you recommend that a formal DNI statement be crafted by leadership? Is that, um, out of all the things that a, a company could invest in, is that a, a good one? That's a strong one. As long as it's a statement that they're willing to live and not just write and put on a, on a wall. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people take an attempt at that, right? We, we're going to craft this beautiful statement and then... Um, anyone who has any dimension of diversity, which is almost every one of us, right, walks into the building every day and sees a statement on the wall and they say, wow, that, that's aspirational. <laughs> you know, it's not us. Um, so a, a more of a declaration of here's what we want to go after or here's where we see our biggest opportunity. Um, it, it, that requires a lot of vulnerability and transparency, but 
vulnerability and transparency is really um, the mark of courage and authenticity, and people will highly respect that and um, be willing to follow suit and follow suit and, and to drive and follow a leader um, if they take that kind of you know bold position. So now just taking some of the concepts that we're talking about and just make them like super practical. So vulnerability, courage, authenticity, it sounds really good, but I think the thing that holds people back from engaging in these sometimes challenging conversations is that they don't want to put their foot in their mouth, right? They just don't want to embarrass themselves or, you know, um, say something that could be embarrassing for themselves or others. Any advice or Mm -hmm. thoughts on like how to just get over that mindset? Oh, absolutely. I think um, it's giving yourself permission to mess up and creating, it's something if an organization has um, like a continuous improvement culture or a learning culture, they're kind of you know, already positioned for the mess up. Mm. Um, but it's better to be honest up front and say, hey, I'm going to take a stab at this or I'm going to try. Leading with, um, I'm trying. Um, leading with, you know, I, can we use it as a teachable moment? Leading with, hey, let, let's go at this for a learning opportunity. It, it gives, people are willing to give grace for that. Um, but it, ha- it has to come across in a very authentic way. And even before getting into tactics, it's developing the relationships. You know, I'm more forgiving and graceful to people who I have a relationship with. And that they don't have to be my best friend, but it's someone I respect who has learned to understand me and appreciate me and who I am and, and how I, I bring my full self to the organization or just curious about who I am. There's something about the relationship that becomes a great foundational step um, that allows people to say, hey, I, I know you didn't mean that. And then sharing and, and making sure that people understand that they have to catch themselves and not always require others to prove them. You know, at one point, at one, one part of my career, I won't even say what company or state I lived in, but, you know, I had a leader say, um, you know, let, let me know if I ever offend you. And I can't think, why, why do I have to be the police on the mm-hmm. behavior? I'd rather the leader be more self-aware and recognize when they do offend me. Um, because... For many, that's a that's a that's a hard position to be put in. But I, I have to bring alert to you, someone who's in leadership over me when they've offended me. Um, and he might have had a good intention, but um, growing in, in EQ and self awareness um, is really really important. A couple things I want to sort of underscore that you said were really important. One is that leaders really need to appreciate their role as leaders, right? And you cannot mm-hmm. expect everyone else around you to. Um, help to support you and and further you in your journey that that work really needs to be you need to embrace it um but but also embracing it with a sense of i am learning (laughs) and being upfront with that and i love how you tied it into if you already have a culture of continual improvement which a lot of cultures have that expectation fold it into that right talk about how you are learning but no one can be perfect in this again there's no um you know, gold medal or finish line for being on the diversity inclusion journey. So that was the second point that you made that I want to underscore. And then the third one is um, this all becomes more achievable and doable um, and maybe takes a little bit of the anxiety out of it if you really focus on building relationships. Uh, because once you get to know people, um, you you sort of have a little bit of that built in um, 
I guess, appreciation of where someone is coming from and, and coming from good intentions. And I think building good relationships is just sort of like leadership culture 101, uh, regardless of the dimension of diversity. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's a key component, not just for, like you're saying, for diverse inclusion, but for leadership anyway. Yeah. Now, here's just another practical question. Would you recommend that um, uh, outside experts are brought in to maybe help facilitate some of these conversations to at least help get leadership thinking and talking about what diversity and inclusion means for them, maybe helping them craft a statement? Or or do you think that it can be done without having sort of like, and I'm doing air quotes here, a diversity and inclusion expert at the table? You really have to figure out what the how much safety there is and the environment. So sometimes the, uh, there are a few benefits of having an external person. One, it's especially if there's someone's coming from you know being a practitioner or, or being well versed in that space, they can bring insight into the room that doesn't exist in the organization just yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or even if you have someone who is named or could be named in that in that leadership role. It, it, it relieves them of the burden of having to pose the challenging question, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. guess what? The expert and the outside consultant, they can say and they can leave and go. And they, they recognize that, you know, and, and they, they do and can push and challenge and provoke in ways because they know that they don't have that tie. That sometimes that the, the culture of safety depends on where an organization is on their spectrum of, of it being a safe organization to take risk and to be bold and to challenge authority. Um, you have to keep something like that in mind. Um, and you also don't want to run the risk of if you don't use an external resource to say, hey, we got this. Because if, 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 we, if, we're, if we're candid, right, and, we're, and we're really challenge ourselves, if we had it, maybe we would have already done it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's worth, it's worth taking the investment of time and effort and, and, and dollars where necessary to get that external thought because um, if we did know, we would have been doing it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to kind of face the music and saying that, you know, would, would our data look the same way, would our results look the same way if we really knew it? So what I think I hear you saying is you really have to be sort of self-aware with the culture that you have. And um, are you a culture that you can challenge yourself? There is some openness and vulnerability there. And the commitment. Can you keep this going without, you know, maybe someone from the outside who is constantly nudging and pushing you further than maybe you would take it? So I think just really know your culture in terms of can you handle this internally or do you need external? Um, Absolutely. And what is the right transition to do that? mm, Gotcha. The right transition. You you, you want things to be sustainable and not totally externally dependable. You know what I mean? Um, You you have to take a leader because then a leader can continue to lean on external and never take full inside ownership. That's also what you don't want to happen. You know, that that's that's a that's a caution to pay attention to. Okay, so that's good. So maybe even before engaging in someone from the outside, have a sense of what that transition, uh, uh, you know, um, to be sustainable and internally sustainable looks like when when are those um, milestones that you should be looking for to say, now we must start embracing and building our own capacity. Yeah, you can look at um, how far it's been operationalized. So mm-hmm. are, are more players um, engaged in the work? Um, are people outside of who this kind of core launch steering team 
jumping off crew, um, are they now owning and speaking? Are they saying the things that we want them to say? I remember, never forget when I was interviewing at um, Aurora at the time, and um, one of my interview questions someone posed was, how will you know that you've made an impact? You've got so many hospitals you have to get to, and I said, if I start hearing my own words out of someone else's mouth. Hmm. And not meaning arrogantly, but that if I had said things repetitive enough and people kind of captured and within their own language and their own accent, right, um, that they put their own spin. But I was hearing what I was trying to get people to grasp and it became part of their own um, vocabulary and how they operated and directed people. So those are the triggers that you can kind of say, hey, it's, it's time to take off the training wheels um, and, um, you know, sort of other other just money out of budget to pay for consultant. But um, we, when we start seeing behaviors being mimicked, when we start seeing leaders um, adopt the practices, when we start seeing people modeling different, when we start holding people accountable, you know, when, when you recognize that some of your best performers may be your, your, your um, worst offenders and you're courageous enough to hold them accountable, that no matter what the, the dollars they're bringing in or their other metrics look like, that if they're not living up to those values and standards that we're holding them accountable, then those are kind of marks and milestones of that internal ownership. Mm, I like that. That's really helpful. All right. So Erica, mm-hmm. Joey, before I wrap up, we talked a lot about um, leadership commitment, what that needs to look like, how to get started there. Um, but maybe the last question I'll pose you is when we start to integrate diversity and inclusion in the business, um, maybe one or two, um, tips, advice, best practices, what does that transition look like? What are the first couple of things leaders should think about doing from they've gone through modeling behaviors. Now they have to set that expectation throughout the company. just, your thoughts on where to start with that? Yeah, so education is really important. I say that differently than just training. Like, don't think, hey, great, we're going to get some training models and put them out there um, because training becomes very check for box. But I, I, I mean, education in the richest sense is blended as you can make it. Sometimes education is just from new relationships, um, exposure to different groups, um, understanding about others' backgrounds and what they bring to to their roles, um, inviting others' thoughts into innovation. Um, so education is really huge. And then looking at um, what's core for our business now, period, and how can we look through certain decisions with a diversity inclusion filter. So challenging the thinking and applying a filter um, for judgment and um, an understanding into the everyday things that we have to do um, as business leaders. Um, and then challenging some of our policies, taking a few policies and processes and looking at them and saying, do any of them have bias built in? You know, for example, do we do interviews um, with a single interviewer versus having a panel where a broader panel could help us understand? Or do we have job descriptions that are written um, so narrowly that we're not providing and allowing ourselves to fully experience other skills um, and abilities out there? When we look at um, who we have on succession list. Um, have we ever challenged ourselves to say, do we have enough diversity in those who are going to be the next and taking on roles after us? Those are, you know, just kind of simple tactical ways that, that that could be achieved. I like it. So it's really all about looking at your business from a broader and maybe different lens. 
and starting mm-hmm. first with leadership doing that work and then setting the expectation that at least people will have the conversation uh, throughout all aspects of the business and looking at how you do what you do, but from a different yeah. lens. Well, this sounds doable. <laughs> It is. It just takes a little bit of courage um, and a little bit of risk, but it has a great payoff. I love it. Well, Erica Joy, thank you very much for sharing from your own perspective and experience and also giving us some very tangible, practical nuggets that other leaders can use to get started in their organizations. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast with our podcast partner, The Brimful Life with Beth Ridley. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.